Hello and welcome to Architecture Masters, the podcast from the London Festival of Architecture. I'm Owen Waynehouse. So I was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, USA, because my dad was out there building or, or designing the new freeway motorway system in Pennsylvania in the 1950s. So he was a, a civil engineer and he came from a, a large family and out of that large family, there were six of them, four of them became architects or engineers. Something in my grandparents' genes must have sort of been passed to them, and then it must have been passed a little bit to me. I'm Jonathan Dark. I'm one of the 13 principals of T.P. Bennett Architects. Our guest this week is the architect Jonathan Dark. Jonathan was born to British parents in Pennsylvania, in the USA. His father's work as a civil engineer led him and the family to move extensively throughout his childhood, living amongst other places in Iran and Pakistan. Later, back in the UK, Jonathan studied architecture at the University of Brighton, and then at London Metropolitan University. He worked for a while under the highly influential architect Florian Bagel, then going on to work for Nicholas Lacey Yobston Hyatt. He later moved to Stillman Eastwick Field, a practice with a strong reputation for their work on schools and hospitals. During his 18 years at the practice, he rose steadily to become managing partner, before the 25-strong practice merged in 2004 with T.P. Bennett to become their health and education team. T.P. Bennett was founded in 1921 by Sir Thomas Bennett, and is now one of the 10 largest architecture practices in the UK. Sir Thomas rose to prominence for his work on the new towns of Crawley and Stevenage, and later the vast Grade 2 listed Smithfield Market. But the practice's more recent work includes a complete redesign of Sir Giles Gilbert Scott's Guildhall North Wing for the City of London Corporation, as well as extensive renovation work on the iconic Sea Containers House on the River Thames. I joined Jonathan in T.P. Bennett's offices in Southwark, where I started by asking him to tell us a little about where the practice was based. Heart of Southwark, um, it was a very run-down bit behind Tate Modern, um, a lost bit of London for for a long period of time. I knew it a bit because my dad um, was an engineer at um, Sir Frederick Snow and Partners and he used to take me around this area, so I knew it a little bit, but it was very run-down. And this, uh, this was an old warehouse building that sort of basically t- held these hard paper copies of all a big bank's kind of uh, records. And when they digitalised, they didn't need this building. And we as a firm of architects thought, wow, this would make a fantastic office. Um, it's slightly edgy, so we liked it. Yeah. Tate Modern hadn't arrived. Now Tate Bodden's arrived, it has become the centre of London. Absolutely. (laughs) And how long ago ago did you move in? So, well, I know that because every time I get into the lift, it says 1998. So 1998 is when the lift was installed and when we converted this building. That's kind of 20 20 years here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And it's interesting then talking about kind of history and how long you've been here. I mean, the practice itself is coming up to 100 yes. years old yes. now. Yes. I'd be interested to tell us a bit about yes. Sir, Thomas, uh, Sir Thomas Bennett and yep. his founding yep. of the practice. Yep. We don't speak to many practices that are 
getting on for 100 years no, old. No, no, Well, we're very proud of that heritage. And, of course, heritage has, has, is a double-edged sword. You know, it's it's, it's <laughs> fantastic sort of platform to sort of l- launch things on. It's also sort of has a legacy to it, which kind of, you know, if you want to break out of that legacy, yeah. it's quite hard to yeah. as well. But But we're very proud of it. And I think Sir Thomas was um, was interesting. He he was um, a an apprentice architect. So he he in, rather than than actually going to, to to college study architecture, he he was he was uh, articled, and actually went through an apprenticeship. And then when he finished his apprenticeship, the first thing he did was set up on his own. Um, and. Um, and I've been told, in fact, I know he, he was a fantastic draftsman and a fantastic um, artist. And all through the practice, every week he had a life drawing class in the practice and insisted that all his architects right. became part of the life drawing class. Now, I don't know any practice that does <laughs> that still, at no. all. Okay. Um, and, 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 and there's testament to that. We still have fan- you know, lots of his beautiful drawings. Yeah, up um, around the, the mm, building. Mm. And so he and he was the practice was founded in in London. It's kind of like you found in London, yeah. nineteen twenty one, right? Um, and um, mainly doing sort of it was the birth of slightly larger residential yeah. blocks. So he started to look at larger residential blocks, and also the birth of um, commercial offices. Right. Um, you know, before that, I think he would just be having. Sm- he had small buildings that were probably more domestic in scale that were used as as workplace rather than, do, c- you know, actually bespoke Purpose offices. Built, but yeah, but he yeah. he started looking at commercial offices, um, and and then both wars happened, and he sorry this, sorry he was just after the, the, this first world war he set up, and then the second world war happened. And he got pulled into the Ministry of Works and was very high up in the Ministry of Works, right. supporting quite a lot of the war effort. As as an architect. As an architect. Right. As an architect. Okay. As as uh, as he was he was very much I've heard a a, a very pragmatic organizer. So that's I think why he got pulled into it. So, right. you know, he, he he was very good at uh, quite large scale projects, quite large-scale organisations, yeah. quite good at mapping his way through that. And so that's why he got pulled into the Ministry of Works, um, which did him in really good stead for the rebuilding of post-war Britain yeah. and got involved in, in, in a lot of that. So one of the things to his name was the rebuilding of Crawley Newtown. Yeah. Um, he also did, which I only recently um, got to hear about, was um, the uh, Dagenham Ford Works. He was the architect planning all that, which wow. was you know, a great okay. bit of yeah. post-war huge reconstruction. Part of London. Huge yeah. part of London. Yeah. Um, and then got into more diverse work. Um, quite a lot of cinemas and theatres. Yeah. I think a couple of our... Um, the Savile, uh, there's the Savile, Savile Theatre. Theater. That's, that's right. By, that's um, right. Is that by Covent Garden, uh, kind of Leicester Square. That's of right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and... Um, he also did uh, um, some other f- fantastic infrastructure works. He did the poultry building in Smithfields, yeah. um, which is which is this beautiful kind of post-tensioned series of domes yeah. um, now listed. Um, and then there's the the, the, the famous Forton um, uh, motorway service station. Right. Um, and, s- and and somebody was telling me a fantastic thing about that where. John Lennon used to say that the, the, 
the best way to sort of impress new girlfriends was to take <laughs> them to, 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 to dinner up in the top of the Fortin Tower right. service station. But he wouldn't do that now. <laughs> <laughs> welcome break would be right. uh, yeah, not That's quite right. top of That's your right. list. But I guess those kind of you know, heady car days and the kind of change, yes. the real changing society then. Um, but you didn't. You didn't join originally. You didn't join. You kind of came a securitas route into TP Bennett's. How did you? Um, how did you join? Yeah. Well, that's that's really interesting. So TP Bennett. It, it sort of it went during the sort of seventies and eighties. It it really um, it was the big expansion in the city. So so a lot of its work got and a lot of its energies got challenged, channeled into basically um, big corporate office developments in the city um, and um, didn't only do that but but a lot of its work was that and of course after, you know it realized you know after a couple of, uh, of decades of this that actually it had lost its its, its multi-sector sort of expertise and so it it, it it started to look around and see how it could address that and that's where I came into the picture. Um, it, it had previously done quite a bit of health and education work, but um, in the you know twenty years had lost lost its way in that. So I got a phone call out of the blue by one of the partners of of, of TP Bennett saying, "I've heard a lot about you." And I said, <laughs> "Oh." And at the, at, well, at well, when was this? What's it? I mean, what so I was I was I was I was basically uh, um, I had I was working with Stillman Eastwick Field. Stillman Eastwick Field had, had, had the, the three original partners had retired, and um, I was part of the new team taking that, that. And most of that work was was in health and education, and some social housing. It was it was basically public work. But this was the what, uh, early mid eighties. I joined them in, in the in the early eighties, right. um, and uh, yeah, most of my work had been around around schools, hospitals. Public housing, housing association work. Um, so it's a, you know it was all the, the public works. But I'd got what had happened in that time is that the funding of, of, of public works had really moved towards PPP or PFI, and so there's a grey area between kind of commercial side of things and the public side of things. Uh, and we were we were lucky to to transition into into sort of helping. The private sector deliver public sector works really. So you'd um, risen then at uh, SEF to a kind of director level. To, you, to, to you, director yeah. level, and so this um, phone call came out of the blue. This then. phone call <laughs> came out of the blue, completely out of the blue, and he said, "You don't know me, but I know you." <laughs> and and anyway, I said, "Oh, well, tell me more." And he said, yeah. "I'll only tell you more if you come and meet me." So we met, um, and um, we we chatted for probably about six months about this this idea that of, of a possible merger and um, it was really more of an acquisition that I would come here and front up the that the health and education side of things and it was just at the beginning of building schools the future program um, and yes after six months of d- discussion the whole team of Stillman Eastwood Field joined T.P. Bennett and they were what sort of size was the we were the we were about 25 um, okay. And we we joined him. Became the health and education division of T.P. Bennett, which took the whole of T.P. Bennett up to kind of what sort of size? Uh, At that know? time, it was T.P. Bennett was about 150. Right. With us joining, it became 175. Okay. Um, we've gone up and down in the intervening period, but we're now 300. 
um, okay. with with two basic offices. One, the main part of it being in London, yeah. and about twenty of us up in Manchester. Right. Okay. Hmm. So w- certainly one of the kind of top ten UK practices yep. in that AJ one hundred yep. list, I guess. Yeah. Fairly regularly, a big big firm. Yeah. And health and education is still still decent size, decent part of that health, practice. Health and education is a decent size. It's it's um, we've had to diversify to, to keep things going. So quite a lot of our health work now is is in um, charitable trusts. It's with it's actually abroad, um, mostly in Africa, and it's also in private sector su- to support to the NHS. Um, so uh, my, uh, there's only a small fraction of our work in the NHS at the moment, directly for the NHS. And in education, um, we since, since BSF, we've probably done less education in terms of schools, but we've, we're now migrating more into higher education and further right. education. Which is where, I guess, more government spending That's and that kind right. of growing sector. That's right. And, uh, That's right. But quite, I mean, it's interesting, that kind of strategic thought about diversifying a practice and where the kind of income comes from I mean, yeah. health and education are obviously thought of as quite kind of government centric and you know the changing nature of governments lead yeah. to more investment or kind of yeah. uh, lower investment in those sectors so the idea of international you know, using your expertise abroad and getting kind of work there that's a strategic decision i guess rather than a kind of I'm just interested in how that how you start looking for new clients and yes. new ways of broadening the sector that you're yes. working in yes well i mean i think most uh, i mean we're always trying to we're always trying to sort of broaden our, our sector expertise and broaden our uh, our access to different funding streams because they're always cyclical and you always need to sort of have a spread to make sure that you haven't you know that all cycles aren't working in the same way so that you can actually divert your resources one way or another way and there's a little bit of luck in all that um, and a little bit of thought um, and and the thought really is to to, 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 to spread your 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 direction basically into the private sector and into the public sector to make sure that the two are there and then n- nationally and internationally you know it, it, it's reasonably simple but having done that what's what's the added benefit for the practice is that you know you think designing certain environments is, is, is a sp- in certain sectors is a specialism and then you realize it it isn't actually good design is good design and actually cross-fertilizing ideas from other sectors encourages you to create a more exciting environment wherever you're work- whichever sector you're working in you know so people work i mean are you uh, just kind of how the practice is structured then i mean are people in you have uh, kind of uh, siloed is a kind of negative word often but you know kind of how do people do you have teams working in particular sectors yeah, and how yeah. much do, do yeah. you kind of as a you know, practice leader kind of engage that mixing amongst the practices that's a, that's a really good question and really good question because we spend a lot of energy a lot of energy on that subject and what we because because the natural thing is for you to what is to use my, to migrate into silos basically so naturally the, the business sort of people who who are like-minded and work in the same sector work together and yeah. and, and, and we you spend, almost become kind of practically you know, the risk is you become practically a practice within a practice within a practice exactly yeah. exactly so so 
we spent a huge amount of effort deconstructing that all the time, mixing people. Um, so we, so you know, our, our, and you can you can see that our, our greatest projects are always when we've pulled people from all over the practice with different perspectives into a team, and 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 I'd say as that that's that's my job. My job is actually to sort of to stir it up a little bit, to bring where to understand what people's skills are and, and bring them together, sort of as a catalyst for something new and exciting. And that's people, I guess, don't think about that as the you know when people think about what an architect does, you know, they don't think of that kind of what you might say is HR kind of role or that um, team team leadership. But yeah, it's quite an interesting skill set to be able to do. I mean, where does that come yeah. from? Yeah, is it just learnt on the job? I mean, how do you kind of... I think it's, I think it's, I think it's still design. I th still think it's design. It's kind of organisational design. All, it is right. organisational design and it's still, it's still a, has, having a vision and it's still being able to communicate that vision and it's still being able to understand how to deliver that vision. And and as basically so, so an important, really important part of being an architect is how has how to deliver something as well as how to sort of create the vision, and and I think that's what it's, so it's the same thing you know you just just because you're seeing that in terms of 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 encouraging the right team to get together and work together that's still creating a vision and learning how to deliver it you know. Okay. Um, so I find it just as exciting as actually yeah. putting a piece of pen to paper. <laughs> and you still, I mean, how much of your time is still doing doing that? I mean, it, it I communicate through pen and paper all the time. I mean, right. if, even if I'm sitting there talking about finances, it's a diagram. If I'm sitting there talking about kind of organisational structures, it's a diagram. Okay. It, and that, that diagram could as well be a building as it could be a sort of a, right. a, okay. a, a, a personnel management diagram. That's really that kind of way of, you see that. Yeah, kind of really interesting how people think and th you use tools to think. And you see a lot of people who just immediately want to draw, you know, yep. to solve a problem, and other people who are kind of yeah you know, use language to do yes, that or yes. other. It's quite an interesting. Yes. Um, I was interested then just to jump kind of right back into you know we're talking about what what you do as an architect now. And it's kind of interesting how you become an architect. You we were just chatting before we started recording. Has it come from a bit of a family of yeah. of architects you i mean you're yeah. uh, born in london originally in so, london so uh, no really? so i was born in a, in harrisburg pennsylvania usa right um, okay. because essentially i because i because my dad was out there building or, or designing uh, the new um freeway motorway system in pennsylvania in the 1950s so you know the, so he he was a he was a, a civil engineer and did big civil engineering infrastructure and he came from a, a large family um, in Evesham, Worcestershire. Um, who, and out of that large family, there were six of them, four of them became um, architects or engineers, you know, right. you know start, worked <laughs> in the built in, designing yeah. the built environment, basically. And, uh, and it's fascinating. So, so something in my grandparents' genes yeah. must have sort of been passed <laughs> to them, and then it must have been passed a little bit to me. Yeah, it's in um, the DNA somewhere. It's somewhere in the DNA, yeah. and we've always, um, and I can see that that our ability to think spatially is 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 there. We don't have to struggle with it. It just hap happens. We we immediately know. You plonk us in the middle of a city, and we can. 
we know spatially within a sort of a, an hour or so how it all works. Yes, um, well, that is genetic. Some people have clearly got that and some mm. people haven't. And that's mm. really... Uh, mm. So, um, born in Pennsylvania, lived there. How long were you? Lived there till I, was, till I was 18 months old. Right, okay. So not too many memories. <laughs> not, from, not too from many memories time, yeah. at all. And then, and then basically travelled back to the UK, travelled then to Pakistan with my parents, lived there for three years, back to UK then to Iran, southern Iran, for three years, back to UK. Um, and then at that time, I was nearing the end of secondary school, so I needed something about going to college. My dad carried on going around, with my mum, carried on going around the world. They went, He went and built six airports in the then Congo and came back yeah. again. I wish I'd gone with him, yeah. but I didn't. <laughs> um, and he, was basically, I started um, my architectural training, really. Um, did, right. did, 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 did. And, and never any kind of question then, I guess, of, of going on to study architecture. That was clear, was it, from an early age that you were going to? It was, uh, at, from about nine, I knew that kind of, I, 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 I had that spatial awareness um, and I sort of knew that I felt very comfortable communicating through design and drawing. I just knew that. But yet there's all, there's been wobbles, you know, okay. you know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've thought, hang on a minute, I've just fallen into this. Surely there's something else I can do. Yeah, kind but of rebellion that's stage. That's rebellion against stage, what the, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the... My innate genetic <laughs> skills kind of kind of actually held it together, and, and okay. you know, um, and and so uh, clearly some memories then of living abroad and and kind of early, yep. yeah, some of them, okay, yeah. So uh, I, so I've, I've you know I've, which which makes me sort of uh, you know quite comfortable with with travel, quite yeah. comfortable with being abroad, quite comfortable with being in countries where there is much less infrastructure than there is in London, yeah. and and um, and and that sort of that's that's helped with kind, kind of, of some of the work I'm doing yeah. now really. So we'll come on to that, mm. you know, I'd be, be interested to come on to that mm. uh, a little bit later. But you, um, college then in uh, in the UK, where yeah. did you where So did you So start? went to Brighton, um, chose that because Brighton's a nice place to live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just happened to have a really good school of architecture, but it's okay. actually Brighton, quality of life. It, it, quality of life, yeah. quality of life. And then, and had a great time there, and then decided to change for my postgrad. Yeah. And came up to London, um, and you know, s I knew London very well because in between going to to Iran and Pakistan, we'd lived in London, so I knew right. London very okay. well, and studied in London at um, London Met. Yeah, um, and haven't really left. Haven't right. really left. Okay. You know, um, I mean, do work ac across the world, but yeah. London's the base. London's home. Yeah, mm. and so London Met. You did your. Is that Part two, part two, there, and part and three. Part that's three. right. That's right. And then, kind of, then, you know, f thinking about the world of work, was it straight in? Where did you? So, so I first of all worked for a bit for a very exciting tutor called Florian Bagel from yeah. London Met, who, and we, w I worked with him, doing the Half Moon Theatre on Mile End Road, which is a very sort of interesting building. Got a lot of sort of coverage at that time. Yeah. Very exciting. But it was hand to mouth, you know. Yeah. He he was he was a hand to mouth character. It was it was beg, steal, and borrow to get this beautiful building built, and right. it was it was fantastic, really good work, and 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 I learned a lot. But I I needed to sort of find more money to pay the rent, yeah. so I then um, went and worked f for a firm called Nicholas Lacey Yobston Hyatt, 
Um, And uh, they were doing, they had just finished a very famous building called Crown Reach, just in Victoria, which is these big sweeping roofed buildings on the River Thames. Um, And I had nothing to do with that, but they were one of the first architects getting involved in the reconstruction of, of, of the Isle of Dogs. Right, so okay. there was there was a fantastic um, uh, wharf called Heron Keys, yeah. and we were st- we we started putting these kind of rather ex- they're very exciting Corten founded um, right. b- purple buildings hanging over the quay for these spec office buildings basically, yeah. and I started working for them. And that was great. They're now demolished because everything that was yeah, below rapidly four changing. or five stories yeah. just went. When the towers mm. went up, yeah, mm. okay, right, and that there were office blocks you were working on then. So, so, so kind of small, small in, yeah. office blocks. They were really, they were, they were um, for small startup businesses. Basically, it was okay. a, it, it was an enterprise zone, um, and it was all this about is part of the kind of Canary Wharf and the, that's um, right. the kind of area. And it, that it, it was bef- before Canary Wharf right. had got involved. It was it was Heseltine had set up this thing called an enterprise zone, so yeah. you got fantastic tax breaks to sort of set up startup businesses there. Right. And we needed nice little warehousey buildings to sort of encourage those. This is kind of uh, people abroad. This is kind of where the in Docklands, where yeah, where the docks used to be. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. They, yes, exactly. So it was it was an area that very deprived. Yeah. Um, Basically, the, the docks had moved to Tilbury, which is right at the edge, the, the um, mouth of the River Thames. Yeah. So any any of the dock activities within the city of London was no longer there. And okay. so there's these population with nothing to do and areas with big yeah. empty warehouses. Yeah, mm. it's amazing. It's kind of different. I mean, frequently talking about how London has changed and London's mm. kind of reinventing itself. But mm. and then and then and then I worked. Then then after that, I I, I sort of. Uh, got a job with Stillman Eastwick Field. Right. And Stillman Eastwick Field were, it's interesting because I, part of my um, rebellious stage, unlike most architects, I hadn't, I, I'd got so into sort of design and building things and designing things that I had I had forgotten to take my part three, which is the final exam that enables you to call yourself an architect. Yeah. And so <laughs> I had so some, some five, six years had gone by without me taking my part three. Mm-hmm. And I needed to sort of, I needed to do that. I realised it was a real blockage, and I should have done it and got it over and done with a yeah. long time ago. So I asked around, and Stillman Eastwood Field was seen as the practice where the one of the best practices where you could get your part three. They knew how to do things properly, right. and they taught you properly. And so I thought, right, that's the practice for me. They'll teach me how to sort of do things properly yeah. and get my part three. So I went there. And that, I mean, just I'm quite interested on that. You know, part three. I mean, for for non-architects, I mean, as you're saying, that's the thing that lets you call yourself the kind of final qualification as an architect and as a protected term, you know, in the UK. There's a few architects. I mean, t- Thomas Heatherwick, I guess, is the the name who hasn't done his yeah. part three, you know, but is still doing what one might call architecture. I yeah. mean, the coal, coal yard drops and I guess other people in the practice who are architects. But what do you learn then in that kind of part three? Because you were obviously thinking about doing it properly and, yeah. you know, what, what... So you learn the business of architecture. And, right. and and the, the the legal constraints about architecture. Right. So you don't you don't learn design. Okay. You, you you learn really the management, how to manage an architectural practice, how to manage a job, right. how to um, how to manage it through uh, 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 the parameters of a contract, yeah. and the legal kind of confines 
of that contract and and how to advise clients on okay. the on the legal side of things. So it's, it's and you can see why if you're a young kind of slightly rebellious yeah. person <laughs> who design 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 is the thing yeah part three is sort of you something know, you could forget about because something you could yeah. forget about okay. um, and but then uh, and but you also realize that if you've got as i said earlier you know it's not just about the, the, the beautiful design it's about how to deliver it yeah. and so you know the, the part three is about how to deliver it right safely yeah and you realized that was important something you, yeah. you wanted to do yeah so still at Eastwick Field, they were, as a practice, a married couple and another director. Was that the... That's yeah. right. That's right. They, they'd, they'd all met um, while they were at the AA. Right. Um, and really interesting firm, actually. Um, and um, set up very soon after mm. they'd, they'd qualified. Um, husband and wife and John St Stillman. Right. And it's really interesting. So Elizabeth Eastwood Field, you know, was was actually one of the pioneering kind of women in in, in, in right. architecture. Yeah. You know, she knew Jane Drew. You know, they were right. they were they they were big figureheads. You yeah. know, because there weren't yeah. many women architects no, around absolutely. at that time. Yeah. Um, and they and they most of their work was in the public sector side of things. Right. So they quickly became um, education, health, okay. and and housing sort yeah. of specialists, really. And you, um, part of your decision about working there was obviously the the, the choice of, of part three, but also where did that kind of interest in education and health, you know, where, where would you think that was kind of, uh, was that just instilled by working there? You know, is that something from you know, Iran and Pakistan, those early yes. days and thinking yes. about architecture that can make a difference? What's the... It's a really interesting question, that. A really interesting question. I think if I was truth if I was being really truthful, I think that 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 I thought I was a designer, so it didn't matter what sector. I, okay. You know, I would I would get a I would help formulate a brief with a client, and yeah. and I would design the building to suit that brief. Yeah. And if it needed a bit of research about that subject, that subject or that sector, I would I would do that. So, I I didn't I didn't you know I I'd never tried to be a sector specialist or right. anything like that. Um, I, I've sort of migrated into that, um, and you know they clearly were. They'd mm. got a reputation in that, they, but that again, I'm sure, like me, they're constantly fighting against that. They're constantly saying, "Well, we're we're an architect, we're a designer. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we might do a lot of education, yeah. we might do a lot of health, but yeah. we're we're a designer." And I think that's always interplaying that with, kind of with tension yeah, there That's always that. there. Okay. Um, so I think it's more, it's more they open my eyes to to. Um, you know, to to the to the to the to that sector, yeah. and and what's special about that sector, but I'm still fighting. I'm still I still don't call myself an, a, a designer of health okay. or educational okay. environments. You know, I'm a designer. Design is design. <laughs> but you stayed there then after your yeah after qualifying. Yep. You're obviously fairly happy yep. with the work and with the practice, and yep. eventually the directors retired. Just they moved on. They, it's they, kind they of did. Generational change within the practice. They did, they did, and also it was it was at the time when um, the f funding streams for for that public sector architecture mm. were changing, um, right. and that 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 um, it was you know they were no the, the 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 government and the local authorities no longer had deep purses well never had deep purses <laughs> but they didn't they didn't they no longer had the ability to fund major capital projects so there was a new way of funding major capital projects for uh, and, and that was through the PFI and PPP yeah. 
And um, so PFI is the private finance initiative. A bit of talk right. about that kind that's of right. budget and things now. And PPP was the um, I can't remember the abbreviation. The uh, uh, um, private procurement something partnership yeah. partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And and uh, and and there 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 there's a lot of controversy about both mm. both of those. But it's it's. They're clearly a way of getting um, financing major infrastructure works built yeah. <laughs> with, without um, using kind of revenue money yeah. rather than capital. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's like taking out a mortgage, um, yeah. and there, there are there are lots of um, concerns about that. Yeah. But um, but they got uh, plenty of hospitals that were exactly. built, yeah, on time and on exactly. budget and delivered, exactly. yeah, for the exactly. Yeah, exactly at a time when I guess yeah certainly it, I mean. I guess they kind of came in a little bit before New Labour, but New Labour was seen as as really using them. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, kind of interesting how politics and um, particularly, I mean, well, maybe not even particularly about health and education, but yeah, certainly residential, you were seeing that a lot now about that interplay between how politics affects architecture and how architecture affects politics, you know, getting schools and hospitals. And we're talking about that as a sector, actually, and about how... Um, clearly, there's ups and downs in terms of government spending on on health, but the general um, trajectory is has got to be upwards in terms yeah. of uh, kind of we're an aging population and uh, kind of increasing demand for health services. So yeah. it's clearly a sector that's um, whether funding is being you know, you know cut or or not you know, that will need over the longer term increase. It, it, it is, and it's and it's. And it's really, it's really interesting. So the more you think about about these sectors, um, the more you, the more you get worried about about the fact that they, people define them as sectors. And the more you realise something like health is actually, you know, it's not just hospitals. It's actually health is about the whole environment. And and and, and where does your your involvement in designing healthy environments start and end really it's 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 a fascinating subject so you know some of the stuff we're doing at the moment you know we're doing um some very very kind of amazing stuff in in africa um some health infrastructure projects but quite a lot of that is actually the therapeutic part of it so it's putting kind of quite simple straightforward well-designed buildings but making sure they're in a therapeutic landscape, um, and and kind of sometimes you feel that that that's lost here. That 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 that, that, that we actually design our machines for for for, for operating yeah. on you. But where is the therapeutic part of it all? Um, and 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 the same happens with with in housing, could go in offices. You know that that you'll spend a lot of time here. Where's the health infrastructure yeah. in an office? You know. And that, I mean, that kind of comes back to what we're talking about you know, organisational design in a practice and, and kind of siloing, not siloing health off into one area. I guess the kind of issue for governments particularly is thinking about health spending on hospitals and not health spending on encouraging people to walk and infrastructure exactly. spending and those... Uh, a lot to learn from architects in, in government there. It I is, think that's it a is, it is. Well, well the, the thing, the real, the real big debate that's been going on for decades and decades and decades is 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 funding preventative health yeah. measures yeah. as opposed to sort of uh, you know acute health measures and and that's a big debate you know because because you know the the value in in making a healthy place to work to keep yeah. people healthy it probably completely outweighs the cost yeah. of a new hospital but it's someone else's budget so <laughs> people don't spend budget. it yeah it's a real yeah. um so coming we're just kind of taking a slight uh, mm. uh detour there but we coming um we're talking about you 
about generational change within a practice yeah. and about you taking on the practice then as, as, yeah. as directors. That's a difficult thing to do. You know, just, I mean, just interested in talking through that kind of process yes. of founders moving on and you taking on the mantle of the practice. And yeah, um, yeah. Well, in, in a way, I've, I, I think it's an easier route than, than setting up your own. Like, for instance, I've, I've always admired, the, you know, for instance, the, 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 the Stillman and Eastwick Fields, where yeah. they left college and yeah. they set up on their own. Yeah. You know, they had no, they had no infrastructure. They, they, you know, they just, they just found a, rented a place yeah. and started sort of finding clients <laughs> and doing it. And for me, that's, that's an amazing challenge. And, yeah. and I have to say, I am completely take my hat off to people like yeah. that. You know, lots of young practices like that. It's it's a much harder route, and it takes a, a, a you know a lot more effort than, than what I do because I, I I inherited an infrastructure that yeah. was there, yeah. you know it has it has certain issues because it's 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 got a reputation a legacy, yeah. and if I want to reshape that it's quite a lot of effort to reshape that, but it, but 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 the foundations are there, yeah. and 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 sort of and those foundations are, you can fall into and start working yeah. immediately you know. Um, and so you, I mean, you were leading the practice then for how long until the, the merger with uh, with T.P. Bennett? So le- leading it f- probably for a good, uh, about 11 years, actually, right. 11 years, okay. all That's through, um, and most of that work then was, 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 was the, the PFI and hospitals had really taken off then, yeah. and, and we were doing schools as well. But through a number of recessions then I mean difficult kind of financial yes periods yes you know, to yes. be leading a, a practice and yeah. to be yeah yeah okay. no no th- I mean that that's always difficult yeah. I, mean, that, I mean that's one of the reasons why T.P. Bennett has, has made a lot of effort in in, in diversifying because yeah. I think it is it is about making sure that that we can ride out the recessions by catching yeah. on different economic cycles <laughs> around the world yeah um, okay and of course the bigger you are the more important that is yeah um, yeah um, but 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 managing resources to make sure you can you can survive these recessions is is is, is very difficult, yeah. uh, very difficult. Um, and it and it's teamwork actually. The whole practice needs to become involved in that and needs to understand it and needs to sort of discuss how it's going to how it's going to sort of ride these difficult times. Yeah. So the merger then you found found out the blue. You, um, the practice physically relocated when you joined? Physically reca- yeah. relocated, and just to be very technical about this, everybody had to be tupied. Right. Because, okay. you know, yeah. basically we all, you know, you all have to, you had your rights of employment at, at, at SEF, yeah. and, and you, that needs to be transferred over seamlessly yeah. without any sort of um, change into T.P. Bennett. Um, right. Okay. And so we all did that, and I think, so we were about, we were, we were, 25 and I think 24 of us came here. Only one person decided not to join T.P. Bennett. All right. Um, that's 4%. Yeah, that's mm, pretty good. Uh, mm, pretty good going. Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, and then you kind of there's a process of, of integration and a process of, you know, kind of organizational culture. Was there big kind yep. of culture shocks? Any changes? So, so it was a big, a big change, a huge change for me. Yeah. Uh, I no longer was the person who got woken up in the middle of the night if the alarm went off in the <laughs> office. So that was a big... So some positive changes. <laughs> some positive yeah. change, yeah. which, which, which was great. And, and, um, and uh, you know, much 
create a resource here yeah. and of support, which is great. Yeah. The IT support was fantastic and is fantastic. Um, business development support, graphic yeah. support. That was that was absolutely fantastic. And mo and more um, partners to sh to share and discuss problems with, which yeah. was absolutely great. I but mean, the kind of number that uh, people talk about twenty five and. I guess as practices grow, kind of, you know, 10, kind of 15, you can kind of know what everyone in a practice is doing. Yeah. 20, I mean, maybe it's changed a bit with technology, but 25 is quite a difficult number. I mean, like a mid-sized practice maybe is kind of, yeah, you're neither huge yeah. um, where you've got HR and business yeah. support and, and everything else, and you're no longer quite small enough that you can have your fingers in all the pies and kind of know what's what's going on was that a, a case of trying to that, yeah, it, it was it was it was it was ex exactly that i mean it wasn't just that 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 we got a call out of the blue We'd, we we had also were wondering how we were going to manage the, the next change really because you're absolutely right that we 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 weren't large enough to have all the support structure um and um but we were but we were also handling quite large pieces of work and some of our large clients were saying Johnson, you're not quite big enough because um, if we give you in the next job, who's going to do it? And so we were thinking at the same time how we were going to manage that. And of course, you can do several things. You know, one of the ones that we discussed, which I'm glad we didn't do, was to go to the bank and borrow lots of money to sort of expand. Um, and I think actually that the, the, the merger route was was looking back on it was was the, was probably the best route. You know, because and we at that time we actually had two other practices that were so wooing us as well. It wasn't just TP Bennett, and what why TP Bennett were the most interesting was because they were they were culturally, or they 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 didn't they didn't work in health and education. The other two practices did, so we were just augmenting yeah. their existing health and education division. And also, I think what excited me about TP Bennett was. They had a reputation that they were really good at the commercial side of things, and I and I I that tension between kind of my passion about sort of social infrastructure and the commercial side is really exciting, you know. And 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 I quite like the idea of of, of carrying on with wrestling with those tensions. So. I guess that then brings us on to, you know, um, and we talked a little bit about moving here earlier on. The move was, what, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So that, um, that was post-merger, post that mm -hmm. you, the, whole, the whole two practices moved, moved here. And then kind of interested in some of the work um, that that's led you on to do and yep. kind of how you've picked up some of that work. And yep. then, as you say, done some of the work overseas. You know, yep. What are the kind of projects you, know, you working on now I mean, yeah. what are the kind of some of the you know, legacy projects yeah. that people would um so i mean I, there's, there's two main themes about that that, that that i think are really exciting so one is that we when we came here we we actually got tp bennett quite um about five years before i joined set up a a specialist kind of interior design division called right. BID, Building yeah. uh, uh, Bennett Interior Design. And what's quite interesting about that is that it, it was, and again, it was, it was, it was a, as a response to sort of changing needs in, in the market and clients, is that, that and again, it was, it was about hedging kind of exposure to different markets. So, and in, to paraphrase what we think, so in, 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 in a, 
in an economically boom time, most organizations are looking to expand. Mm. And how they're looking to expand is often they're looking to either build a new building or, mm. or acquire a new building and often, often build a new building. And so, you know, as architects, you want to grab hold of some of that and become yeah. part of building their new building or design yeah. their new building for them. But in, 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 a, in an economically um, depressed time, they're looking to consolidate. Yeah. And that consolidation often is about sort of finding kind of more efficiencies within their, their current built environment, downsizing a little bit. Mm. And there's work to be had in that in large organizations. And that's the kind of interiors. That's the interiors. Work. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's actually helping kind of an organization sort of rationalize their space, make sure they can use it efficiently. So, so interior design comes into it. Yeah. And so, so T.P. Bennett had set up Bennett Interior Design so it could, it could capitalize on both on the architectural side of things and also the, the rationalization, the, the space right. planning side okay. of things. Um, and it was, and, but what it did, it, it, it gave us a, um, a, 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 an expertise series of, of creative people that, that thought slightly differently than architects yeah. interior designers yeah. do think differently yeah. and we when 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 i moved here i thought i that, that's really interesting because because of a lot of a lot of our health and education infrastructure could do with some interior design sort yeah. of injection you yeah. know and, and that thought about um organizational setup and workflow and how people mm. are yeah exactly right, exactly okay. exactly exactly that so we, w when we came here, we, we got a couple of new, very interesting jobs. One of them was, was, was a, a, a f for a hospice down in Clapham called Trinity Hospice. And we, we quickly brought a team together for, you know, who had two interior designers from upstairs who had nothing, they'd never done any health work at all. But they, they, in fact, they'd done a bit of hoteling work. That's, uh, and, right. and we used some of their interior design skills to sort of to capitalise on the therapeutic nature of a hospice. Rather, and we, we carried on with the clinical support, and right. they helped on the therapeutic side. And, a, and, and it's probably one of the highlight projects we've done here. Right. And we wouldn't have been able to do that probably if we hadn't have come to this sort of environment with those different skills within the building. Right. With the interior design mm. as well as the... And so some health projects, some education kind of projects. The obviously building schools for the future has had yeah. some change there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we, we rode that that crest and yeah. did probably some, I think, eighteen schools. So wow. you know, quite okay. a lot of schools, yeah. and uh, you know, had a really you know, it was, it was great fun time there. Yeah. You know, um, and and um, and we still carry on with it with a few schools here, right. a few free schools mainly. Yeah. Um, haven't all been uh, made square by Gove's approach, but no, okay. Right, there's still exactly. some interesting schools being being built. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think yeah. so. Well, what's interesting is we're we're now catching a wave where some of the free schools are outgrowing their square box, as you say, right, yeah. and <laughs> and they realise that while they were. Um, Emerging to their full cohort, they were yeah. using all their excess space to sort of f to do their extracurricular activities. Yeah. Now they can't do that. They're coming to us saying, "How do we, right. how do we get bi a bit more of the building schools of the future yeah. into our school?" That's mm. really. Mm. I mean, I'm really. Uh, I know there were a couple of reports about the impact that spending has on yeah, um, uh, design has on educational achievement and people. Yeah, perhaps a bit skeptical maybe on spending. But when you think about teachers and you know, really good teachers, 
if you've got a choice of where you want to work, you know, are you going to work in a kind of stunning, amazingly designed, you know, where you know, it's difficult to attract quality, you know, good teachers to schools, the idea mm. of an amazingly designed. Mm. So even just from the fact of having, you know, nice, better designed schools and more likely to you know, attract mm. better teachers mm. and kind of better, you know, everything kind mm. of hinges off that as a... Well, I, th I think I think everybody wants to work in a nice place, yeah. don't they? they s we yeah. spend a lot of our time in the where we work, yeah. and 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 so you know, you, it, it's interesting how you can f you know single out schools or hospitals, but yeah. actually everybody wants yeah. to work in a nice place. Everybody wants to learn in a nice yeah. place, and actually, you know, so the private sector says we invest in nice offices because it, it helps our people yeah. and <laughs> and it helps what we do. Yeah. Th that's obviously right in education. <laughs> uh, but interestingly, never challenged in the private sector. Never challenged. As it's challenged often in, in education. People no. think, oh, you know, as yeah, Michael Gove, you know, Square School, you know. Um, that's interesting. Never, that. it's, it's, I mean, we're, we're getting political here. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's very exciting. But you're absolutely right. So, you know, we're, we're doing the, the new Google headquarters. And, and, and right. it's... The big mantra is, there, is, is investing in their people because yeah. they want the really nice place for them to work because yeah. actually it benefits what they do as a company. Yeah. So the idea that you can say that that, that, that philosophy doesn't work in education yeah. is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so I'm interested then in the kind of move um, internationally, you know, with health and education yeah. particularly. You talked earlier a little bit about work in in Africa yeah. and work um, work overseas this yeah. I'm interested in the kind of uh, is that so you know you've obviously traveled extensively when you were young yeah. is that a desire to kind of see more of the world yeah. or to make it what's the yeah um, well well we we I mean we've we there's a, there's a lot a big push here to make sure that we have we sp we spread our work around the world or we have right. work around the world because it helps us become a bit more robust but uh, I think in terms of our work in Africa, our health work in Africa, yeah. I mean, it, it happened sort of like all these things, chance meetings with the right people and the right mm. clients. But I think it also happened because, um, again, because I think we, uh, when you work in the, in, in the pu public sector, the s health and education, Outcomes are really important. Mm. So you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, what are you doing to this? How you design the design of your, how is the design of this environment helping education outcomes? Mm. How is the design of this environment helping health outcomes? And so you ha you have to you have to have to concentrate. Can't just be beauty for beauty's sake. You've mm. got to constantly ask yourself: Is that benefiting the the kids' ability to learn? Is that benefiting the doctors and the patients' ability to get better? Yeah, um, and. And it gives you a certain pragmatism as well, and I think that, that, that and it and and you need to be able to communicate that very effectively to your clients mm. and to your stakeholders, and I think that has helped our African clients, um, you know, get down to the nub of what they're trying to do here. So we, we we don't start off with the word architecture. We don't start off with the word kind of design. We mm. start off with the with with trying to understand what outcomes they want out of this right. investment and that that helps us to sort of get involved in that work which inevitably does end up in design yeah um it's interesting about 10 years ago maybe there was a big push from kind of big name architects in this country into china particularly as to kind of you know 
lots of second, third tier, you know, Chinese cities were suddenly wanting um, yeah, expertise and design in architecture. And I guess a lot of people now are saying that China's, you know, developing its own, you know, kind of architectural sector and, you know, thousands of architects coming out of kind of training higher education in, in China. Um, a lot of talk about growth now taking place in, in Africa and African cities being the real hub of kind of urbanization and um, uh, not huge number of architects yet talking about work in, in Africa. Mm. Do you think that's kind of the mm. beginning of a, a wave of uh, opportunities, do you think, in Africa? Is that it, it, it is, but I think, I think it, it's interesting... It's interesting the dynamics of Africa because kind of it's it's underlined by kind of colonialism really and and dealing with that, and especially with kind of you know some of the countries we're working with British colonialism, yeah. and so one of the things that's really important is 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 kind of is partnership, um, and uh, we get involved in the in the whole partnership very early on that actually we find that a lot of the projects have initiated from the countries themselves and have been, have, have already ha a, a small design team actually sort of spearheading that project. And then it comes to sort of how we're going to realise this project and we help become part of that team. And so it's a, it's a, it's it, and, and the big debate is sort of what we can bring to the table and what the current kind of team can bring to the table. And, it, and, 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 and we work out a way in which... Um, we can we can kind of realise the project, uh, and some of that involves funding from here, and as well as expertise from here, and some of that funding and expertise is backed up by um, UKEF, United Kingdom Export Finance, um, and some of that is is from world banks, some of that's from the country itself, and and working out that kind of collaborative way in which we deliver it. One of the other things that we do is is some of that that design team comes here for a period of time, and yeah. we go there for a period yeah. of time. And I can see that if 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 this starts to work really well, you know, the, the, that that the expertise in country will go rapidly up, yeah. and we will we won't be needed. Right. We really won't be needed. Yeah. Um, uh, but the fun is actually being part of it now. Yeah, that must be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess some of that um, work you'd previously done on kind of organisational culture and organisational change is beneficial in terms of working with new partners and looking at kind of how two different organisations partner on a on a project. Yeah, it's presumably a bit of a two-way street in terms of kind of learning from um, work going on in you know, large African cities. What yep. can be applied kind of yep. in other yep. in other places, and just kind of wondering about what. Yep what we can learn from from other cities so a huge amount one of the, one of the things that 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 is really interesting is that we 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 st start off these projects often well not not now because we're a bit wiser but we start off these projects um with m gr m quite sort of highly technical solutions yeah. And it's and and we so we're importing our technical solutions into Africa, and then we we quickly realise that that is completely inappropriate. Yes. And some of the things that we're looking at is is is, is looking at some of the where people have done that, where they uh, um, designed and provided a building that that is reliant on a lot of 
mechanical air ventilation and air yeah. conditioning and yeah. within six months that building can't be used as a hospital because nobody knows how to maintain it there's yeah. no infrastructure <laughs> there yeah. so so we've we we're, we're coming in and replanning that building so that actually we mainly um, naturally ventilated yeah. obviously bits do need some mechanical ventilation like yeah. operating theaters yeah. and that, and we're using kind of some of that to sort of that that understanding of appropriate technologies to yeah. design our new hospital buildings there. and it's a really right. it's really is a two-way street and that learning for, for here in terms of reducing energy expenditure and reducing right yeah okay. it's, it's uh, no so it ab- absolutely comes back here you know right. that, that 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 the way that everything has to be you know pragmatically sustainable in the yeah. middle of africa yeah. needs yeah. to be pragmatically sustainable yeah. here yeah. in the middle yeah. of london <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's fascinating mm. um i know slightly conscious we need to start rounding up uh, shortly i'm just interested then we're obviously coming up to tb bennett's 100th so what's that two uh three three years away that's right 100th anniversary are there that's plans right. afoot for there are plans celebrations afoot. what's no, uh, there are plans afoot i think um one of the things is is to is to um we've got like like all old organizations there's a big archive of stuff that's yeah. that 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 we're only we only managed to show sort of at the most five percent of that archive. Right. So one of the big things is how how are we going to sort of show the rest of the world some yeah. of what went on in 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 the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties. You know, yeah. fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. And actually, some of it is really relevant to today's thinking. Actually, yeah. you know, you 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 think it's 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 old stuff that's dusty, but. Some of that thinking is really important, yeah. really important. It, w- it will g- help us reground ourselves, yeah. I think. So there's, th- there's that. Um, there's obviously parties. We're yeah. thinking of parties. <laughs> They're important. Right. Yeah, let's That's not right. forget. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, one of the things that we, we try and do here is, is we're very lucky. We've got a street that's not used too much by traffic outside the office. Yeah. And we try to spread our tentacles into the surrounding streets, yeah. and so we managed to close off a couple of streets and, and right. have parties in there. Okay. Um, and I think we're talking to other people about that too. Yeah. Um, so that's hopefully some, some ideas for the festival. I think I in think, June. I, I think, that's I think what the festival dovetails into. Yep, yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. That's great. And then I guess just kind of finally interested in your thoughts on London and what's kind of interesting you about London, and you know things you find interesting challenging difficult as a as a city uh, you know, we are a festival about about london as much as yes. we're about architecture yes what well uh, so i tra- as you can imagine because of my work uh, yeah. i travel around the world quite a lot i always come back to london yeah. uh, i think london for me uh, it's the world it's the rest of the world in a little microcosm yeah. i mean i've always loved its multiculturalism always loved that and kind of um and and i think the rest of the world like that because they come here (laughs) so that that's fascinating for me the thing that the other thing that i'm really really excited about london is it's it's getting to grips with sustainability and ecology you know it's really starting to think heavily about that and we're in an area here where i know we're part of what's called an urban forest um and also um, my my partner's very much in this kind of um, in London food, yeah. 
and uh, and and sort of I know there's a big move to sort of you know to to grow local in London and with all the challenges that's got but that's a fascinating thing and with with our with our housing demands I can see that food and housing coming together in a very exciting way you know in a, and it's a, and and London is l- loose enough fit to allow that to happen. If you, you know, if you tried to do that in Manhattan, it would be really difficult. London's kind of quite unique, is that there's enough, there's enough greenery to allow that to happen. There's something really nice about the idea of a loose fit in mm. a city that mm. gives flexibility. And, mm. Uh, mm. Fantastic. Thank okay. you so much for your time. It's a real, we've covered yeah. a huge amount. That's, that's really, great. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> You've been listening to Architecture Masters, the podcast from the London Festival of Architecture. On the programme this week was Jonathan Dark. You can find out more about Jonathan and his work at architecturemasters.org, from where you can also subscribe to the programme and follow us on Twitter. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, why not leave a review or a rating with your podcast provider, as this helps others to discover the programme. You can send any comments, questions or suggestions by email to hello at architecturemasters.org. You've been listening to the podcast from the London Festival of Architecture. I'm Owen Wainhouse. Thank you for listening.